Hello everyone, this is Ivan Oleg Smith with Yoga You Online and I'm very excited to be here today with yoga therapist and author Robin Rothenberg. Robin is the founding director of Essential Yoga Therapy, an IAYT accredited yoga therapy training program in Seattle, Washington. And she has been teaching yoga therapeutically for more than 30 years. Robin has spent years particularly focusing on functional movement as it relates to yoga asana practice. And she specializes in utilizing adaptive asana and breathing practices to break chronic pain patterns and reset the body to move with greater stability and freedom. Robin is also the author of the Essential Low Back Program and she has been a contributor in creating the research protocol for some of the leading studies on yoga for back pain. Welcome Robin, we are so happy to have you. Wonderful to be here, always like to work with you and Yoga You. So we're here today to talk about your work with people suffering from back pain issues in the upper body, particularly neck and shoulder pain. And your interest in this topic stems back to uh, struggling with your own injuries and issues in that area. Is that correct? It certainly is. Yeah. Back when I um, was actually pretty new as a teacher, I, uh, I had gone through a series of low back issues and um, had some resolution with those. Um, and then I incurred probably of all the injuries that I incurred during my rather aggressive um, initial <laughs> yoga practice, asana practice, um, was uh, injury in my neck. And um, so I, I remember very distinctly raising my arms to do Virabhadrasana 2 in class. I was teaching and I said, okay, inhale and raise your arms. And my right arm fell down and I couldn't lift it back up again. And I'm, you know, inside I'm thinking, that's not good. Um, and so uh, I was studying with a particular teacher at that time and did some individual work and uh, ended up going and getting, uh, going to PT and was diagnosed as having a cervical disc compression at C4, mm -hmm. C5 and, um, and, and ended up with about 18 months of pretty severe acute, let's say acute chronic pain. And the way I describe it is um, by four o'clock in the afternoon, I was pretty much on the couch saying, you know, like, morphine i don't care like the pain was so intense uh and uh it was the result of among other things very weak and not very well aligned or aware upper body neck issues and um compounded by a practice at that time that started with a headstand and headstand variations mm. with and and like I said, a lot of avidya ignorance on my part, and unfortunately, I must say, on the teacher that I was studying with at the time, um, on his part as well. Mm. So the result was that my shoulder imbalance and weakness, and my neck imbalance and weakness, um, ended me up with compression, which ended up with some thoracic outlet and numbness, tingling, weakness all down my arm. Mm -hmm. And it took um, a lot of time to resolve that. And the PT helped a lot. But I found that I, I, 
I mean, clearly I, I knew that the headstands, I had to stop doing that. And I couldn't do downward dog, anything that put pressure um, that was weight bearing on my upper body. And yet I knew there was weakness. So I just started working on my own, like how, what resolves this? Uh, and, 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 and I, there was all this attention and there often is this attention to the opening of the front of the body and sort of, you know, stretching, which is helpful, but you know, from all the work that I consistently do with Yoga U that my mantra is you can't stretch it better. Um, that the strength part is equally important and there just wasn't enough. Like I couldn't go from as weak as I was to headstand. I, what got me in trouble in the first place is I didn't have the strength in my upper body or neck to, to sustain that. Um, and so how do I strengthen um, and sort of progressively work my way back to health and healing uh, letting go of the goal being to do headstand again. I didn't know if that was ever in my cards. So, uh, so that started a whole process of inquiry and exploration through the use of weights and adaptive asana. And then, of course, I met <clears throat> Tom Myers and got introduced to the arm lines, as well as an awareness of the core work that I had taken from and, and utilized with my low back work and recognizing that the core goes all the way up. And, um, and so that developed into a whole way of working with the back of the body, the back of the upper body, <clears throat> and what I came to have, have come to call the, the, the mid back core which uh which tom thought was pretty cool and it's an integration really of the of the abdominal core and the neck core what happens in between and even more so as i've done this exploration with the breath i've become very aware that the the center point of the body is the you know lower rib rib cage the diaphragm and that there's this beautiful link between upper body and lower body if we know how to access it to engage and there's a big difference in up, what goes on above and below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You used an interesting uh, term, the neck core. Absolutely. What do you consider the neck core? So, uh, you know, the deep front line, that deep inner core line that starts from the inner arches, goes up through the inner calves, inner thighs, um, the adductor complex, pelvic floor, transverse abdominis, iliopsoas, up into the diaphragm pericardium, they're all part of that same deep front line, and it continues up into the longus coli, which are the stabilizers in the deep scalenes, um, stabilizers of the neck. And they're the Jalandhara Bandha muscles. You know, the Bandhas and the deep front line are in cahoots. They're the same thing. Yogis, the ancient yogis really got it. Um, and that's why they worked with the Bandhas and worked with the breath the way that they did. And then we sort of abandoned a lot of those essential tenets of our postural practices to emphasize more of you know how loose and contorted could you make your body and unfortunately we've not done ourselves or for those of us that are teachers or our students um, much good i think we need to get back to that essential understanding of how to stabilize first mm. and mobilize from that very strong stable center mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense um, and more broadly, I think, you know, the neck and shoulder issues is um, an, an issue that's familiar to a lot of people, particularly since a lot of us spend a lot of time in front of the computer every day and 
chronic neck and shoulder pain really affects millions of people. And it's not just an issue of chronic pain. It can also affect us systemically in terms of lower energy, reduced well-being. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I would love to talk about that. <laughs> so there's a couple of things. One of the things that I've noticed in the yoga community, especially around the neck and shoulders, um, I, there's a lot of, um, okay, I'm just going to use this term. Sorry if I offend anybody. Um, kind of party tricks around neck and shoulders, like ways of stretching, releasing, kind of palliative, you know, mm -hmm. relaxation techniques, you know, do this stretch and it'll help you to feel better. Do this stretch and it'll help you to feel better. Do this little, you know, somatic work and it'll help you to feel better, which is true. It, there's a lot of things that can give you that immediate sense of release, you know, lay over the physio ball, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is, is that there's, it, as soon as we come out of the stretch and we go back into our pattern, you know, it comes back in again. So there's a lack of resilience and a little bit too focused, in my um, opinion, my bias on the localized area of tension as opposed mm -hmm. to looking at the whole pattern of posture, breath, functional movement, functional breathing from the base all the way up. Mm -hmm. So people are often surprised when they work with me uh, with their, they come in because they've got neck and shoulder issues and a lot of my clientele do. Um, and, and even when I do my, my training programs um, on the neck and shoulder, we start with the core and we start with the pelvic girdle and we start with the engagement of the abdominal core and, and work our way up and work with functional breathing because uh, we, can't, we can't actually transform the upper body without linking it to what's going on below. Right, right. Yeah. And along with that, that's directly related to your question around energy is that functional breathing and functional movement go together. And what I mean by that is that um, the diaphragm, which is the central breathing muscle, is in addition to being the central breathing muscle, it is also a very important part of the core stabilization complex. So it's, it's, it works, it's designed to work in tandem with the transversus abdominis and the oblique muscles. And so that when the diaphragm contracts and moves down, the abdominal muscles expand. And then as you exhale, they contract and come in and that, that assists the diaphragm in that inward movement where it cups up. And mm -hmm. so functional breathing is very much about the core being engaged appropriately so mm. that the abdominals are always sinking and oscillating with the diaphragm. Mm. Now, when we sit in our computer slump position, and I'll just kind of angle to get into it, right? What happens is that we effect, effectively cut off the abdominals from the diaphragm mm -hmm. so that now the abdominals are flaccid and as a result the diaphragm is no longer doing what it needs to do to breathe well so what happens it has to happen <laughs> is that the accessory muscles of the chest become used they start to be used as primary breathers and so mm -hmm. what happens is people breathe up instead of out mm -hmm. What happens to all of the musculature in the neck and shoulders when 20 to 30,000 times a day, that's how many times we breathe, 
we're contracting. We're contracting. We're contracting. So yeah. not only is it, so there's a combination of things. It creates chronic tension mm -hmm. all the way up through the jaw. That can create headaches and tension in the head, TMD, you know, uh, uh, joint pain. Um, obviously tension, more tension in the eyes. It goes with interior head posture. That has a lot of issues with the, the neck and shoulders as well. But you're also not getting the full range of the diaphragm, which means your prana is going to be affected because you cannot breathe effectively and fully when you're in that slump position. Mm. So it, it's working on both sides, <laughs> on both sides to um, on the anamai and the physical sheath, it's creating a lot of tension and excessive um, uh, contraction. And then it's also uh, depleting the energy. And because we're not getting the full range of the diaphragm, our oxygen levels are, are lowered. Um, mm. not, it, it, has, it has less to do with how much breath we take in mm -hmm. and more to do with our inability to get the breath to the lower lobes of the lungs, which require good posture. So that, because that's where the most perfusion and exchange happens between oxygen and CO2. So for breathing in the upper lobes of the lungs, there's just not as much exchange through the capillaries mm -hmm. so that you're not getting such good oxygenation. And in fact, this is kind of a, from my latest research from, for, for my book on the breath, that it, it takes between 15 and 25% more uh, oxygen to chest breathe and diaphragmatically breathe. So you're taking in this beautiful air and then right off the top, you lose 15 to 25% just by chest breathing, which means there's less oxygen for, you know, pinky fingers, liver, brain, the rest of the body um, that really needs the nourishment of that oxygen. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, I know that you, you are one of your new passions is the breath, the role of the breath and, and diaphragmatic movement in our overall health. And as you made reference to, you're writing a book on it. And I was in some of the material you sent me before the interview, I was very curious to see that it's a trend in rehabilitation science now to look at the breath as a possible uh, precursor to chronic musculoskeletal pain. Um, so why, how did that happen if researchers believe that we can't treat musculoskeletal pain without first looking at breathing patterns? What's the connection there? Uh, Other than what, I mean, I know that you just talked to you know, talked about the chronic pain in the chronic tension, but um, is it that specific upper breathing pattern that creates it, or is there like broader, uh, different kinds of dysfunctional breathing patterns at play? There, there, are there are different kinds of dysfunctional breathing patterns. The chest breathing is probably the most pervasive and it often goes with mouth breathing. Um, there's actually a connection between mouth breathing and chest breathing versus nose breathing and diaphragmatic breathing in terms of the way that we're wired. Um, mm -hmm. so if we're mouth breathing um, and uh, people often don't realize that they're mouth breathing 
uh, in through their life. And once you get tuned in, you walk down the street, you can see how many people are mouth breathers. Interesting. Um, you know, I, I, for instance, didn't know what a pervasive mouth breather I was. I always breathe through my nose on my yoga mat, but that was the least of my day, right? Like, right, right. What was, yeah. what was going on the other 23 hours, including sleep? <laughs> so sleep counts. So mouth breathing at night, snoring, sleep apnea, these are all breathing pattern disorders. Mm -hmm. And um, mouth breathing goes with the, the chest breathing. And so um, people don't realize how pervasive that pattern can be and repetitive. Mm -hmm. So in that, they're not only, it's, it's a combination. You got to think about it again, the whole body. Mm -hmm. so, um, not only does it create this chronic tension mm -hmm. in the upper body, and not only does it decrease the amount of oxygen that's available to be dispersed and distributed throughout the body, but mm -hmm. it also unlinks, it breaks the kinetic chain between the abdominal core and the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the core gets weaker mm -hmm. and the weaker the core is and the less functional the diaphragm is, the more the body is still wants to and needs to breathe so it, the more it recruits those accessory muscles so it's like a vicious cycle mm, so the breathing, right, breathing right. pattern disorder gets worse and part mm -hmm. of the chest breathing mouth breathing syndrome is low level hyperventilation mm. we're actually um, breathing out too much of our co2 and then that creates chronic tension and it's linked to anxiety and digestive issues and inflammatory conditions which of course stress people out and people are more stressed. And then what do they do? They breathe more. Right. So it's, it's huge. Yeah, that is huge. So sinking the studies that you refer to and part of my research has really taken me back to how important it is as yoga teachers that we really get people breathing functionally and using our beautiful asana practices to help people to sink the diaphragm back up with the abdominals to mm. help to alleviate upper back and neck and shoulder tension to stabilize and support the lower back you know that goes together right we get the core mm -hmm. strong and the core synced with the diaphragm the diaphragm works more efficiently people's nervous system calms down they get out of that sympathetic fight or flight mode they're more relaxed mm. and every, the whole, the whole being feels better mm. as a result. And, and yoga has this wonderful mind, body, asana, breath, mindful awareness, right. you know, like it's a, this amazing tool for transforming this. If teachers have the education to know how to do it, mm. yeah. right? It's not complicated. It's just like getting, once you get your head around it, it's like, if we get people functionally breathing, their movement will be more functional and they'll be less likely to be, be injured. And that's what those studies show. I mean, even along with um, that functional breathing and SI joint stability go together. Mm. That when people are not using their diaphragm and their abdominals well, they're more likely to have SI problems. Or let's say the people with SI problems are often shown to not be functional breathers. Mm. Very interesting. Um, we have a course coming up with you uh, on uh, freeing the neck and the shoulder uh, girdle um, and releasing chronic tension patterns. It sounds like we should rename it to freeing, freeing the breath to uh, change your life. <laughs> okay, I'm game to do that one with you too. But I will be also working specifically, the other big piece is this mid-back core and the 
the, the stabilizers of the upper back and really activating them in conjunction with the diaphragm and proper breathing, but working with the placement of the shoulders and teaching people functional movement in the upper, upper body, which has a lot to do with the scapula and moving from the scapula as opposed to the ball joint of the shoulders. And um, again, there's sort of like these ABCs of the upper back and neck and shoulders that as I work with people, it's it, it. I really, it's like the same thing in slightly different iterations um, mm-hmm. that I bring to people, and and it really makes a big difference. So it's yeah, yeah, I feel like it's very teachable, and it's and these are um, just little little basic fundamental essentials of functional movement that teachers can take into every class and right. just keep emphasizing, and it can make a huge difference in terms of how people feel in their upper body. Yeah, it's beautiful. One of the, you mentioned Tom Myers and one of the things he, uh, he has this concept of spatial medicine, uh, which has to do with understanding how our structure affects our health and how we can improve our health by changing our structure. And I think this is such a perfect example of that. And particularly in this age of forward head posture, you know, the kind of issues that you're talking about are rampant. And I think it's such a good point that unconsciously a lot of us are becoming poor breathers by divorcing, you know, the abdominals from the upper part of the body. Um, so it's, it's such an important course and we, we're really so excited about it. Is there any other things that people should know about what you'll be covering? You made, made reference to quite, quite a number of key points um and i just want to put out this one kind of uh uh, it's one of those uh um, facts that i learned through my the teachers who have been teaching me about the breath and one of them in particular was alba courtney who's an incredible osteopath and breath educator and has published about eight or nine studies on on breathing and movement and posture and one of the things that I had not put together that she really emphasized is with the forward head posture, which is mm-hmm. we, if we only work at it, come at it from the mechanical perspective, mm-hmm. right, of like opening the front of the body and strengthening the back of the body, but we don't change people's breath patterns. If people are mouth breathers mm-hmm. and chest breathers, they actually can't move into what we would call sort of proper alignment mm-hmm. because in doing so it'll compress the airways we mm-hmm. actually have to transform their breathing pattern in order for them to be able to stand into dasana and if we aren't working at it from the perspective of the breath and transforming that equally with the mm-hmm. mechanics of it it'll never work because they'll go right back into forward breath i mean forward head posture in order to breathe, which is obviously going to be the more important piece mm-hmm. that they can breathe. <laughs> and Arguably. There's a little experiment that, um, that, that you can do with that, but it, it's very simple, which is if you open your mouth and you breathe and you go into your forward head position. Okay, now keep breathing through your mouth and bring yourself into Tadasana. Keep breathing through your mouth, Eva, and come into Tadasana. Oh, yes, yeah. Right, right. It closes that off. Yes, so yes. When you become a functional nose breather, you actually can't get out of the anterior head position. Mm, 
Very interesting points. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's just mind boggling how, you know, these little things that we don't think about, about, you know, how we use the body just can make such a huge difference. And what you just been talking about is such a, a tremendous piece of it, you know, with the integration of the breath with, with posture. So, um, thank you so much for joining us, Robin. Uh, so much to digest here. And um, you always are one of our most, we have so many talented and wonderful, the educated teachers, but you're always one of the most studied and brilliant and smart people that of among all the smart people that we get to deal with. So we're very, very excited about the course coming up. Thank you so much. I love the opportunity to share. That's, um, I, I love to study. I love to learn. It's really, I, I think I'm a passionate student and that that's what spawns a lot of this is that I just keep wanting to know why and understand more about the connections. I love the connections. So, um, whatever I can do to share that with others, um, it's my, yeah. it's my Dharma and thank you for giving me the platform, offering me the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing of, of this tremendously important knowledge. So we very much look forward to your course. All right. Thank you, Eva. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm,